accomplish in and of ourselves whenever we come to the Lord. And then after we come to the Lord, it's a constant surrender unto Him and to His will. And it's only when we truly surrender all, amen, and we begin to walk in the perfect will of God that we can, amen, experience His peace and the life and the abundant life that He has promised to give us by truly surrendering all. It's a tough thing for us to say. It's even a tough earth thing, I think, for us to actually do is to surrender all unto the Lord. We have to be constantly reminded of the flesh that wants to come and take back over and have dominion over us, of the lust, the sins, the jealousy, all those things that we have just being human beings and the emotions that we experience. We're always being reminded, amen, constantly over and over again of who we truly are, what we can do if we rely on those things, and truly who God is in our lives, amen. Is that not what almost every sermon is about? It's constantly surrendering and choosing to walk after the Lord. I'm not going to take up a lot of time tonight, but this morning the Lord had quickened a verse into my spirit this morning, which was Colossians 4 and 6, where the Lord tells us, the Apostle Paul, through the ministering of the Holy Spirit, tells us to let our speech always be with grace, let it be seasoned with salt, so that we may, we may know how to answer every man. We always have to not only look at ourselves, but also what we represent and how effective we truly are in this walk, church. I want to be the most effective Christian, the most effective believer that I can, that I can possibly be, amen? I don't never want to be a stumbling block into anyone, but instead I want to let the light that is inside of me shine always so that when people are around me, when they hear me talk and when they hear me speak, when they experience me, they're able to see more of Jesus Christ functioning and flowing through me than they are to see of myself. I can't tell you the people that knew me some time ago, and I thank the Lord for this, that would tell me, you know, you're nothing like you used to be, even the way you conduct yourself, the way you talk, the way you act. And I can say, yes, truly, that is a great thing because I am no more myself, but I am of the Lord. So we always have to be cognizant of how effective we truly are around others, how much we are truly letting our light shine, how much of a witness are we truly? You know, church, a witness is someone who has been there, they have heard, they have seen, they have experienced something, and now they can be a true witness of what they have encountered in their life. Amen? And that's what the Bible calls us to be. It calls us to be witnesses of a life-changing experience through Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord that the Lord gives us not just a small amount of information on this topic, but a whole plethora of information on this sanctification experience of God literally changing us more and more into His image so that the old man continues to die away and the new man may reign supreme. But the Bible uses the illustration here of Jesus Himself of actually calling us the salt of the earth. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. I'm only going to try and spend about 10-15 minutes on this topic, and then I do want to minister just a small amount on what water baptism truly is before we have the baptismal service tonight. So y'all bear with me if I begin to talk just a little bit too fast, but 
the Lord had laid this so strongly on my heart this morning that I felt I would be amiss if I did not minister what the Lord had truly called to revelation to me this morning. In the, in the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus Christ actually, this is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it is quite possibly, I would say, definitely with a truth that it is the most powerful sermon ever ministered. Of course, it was ministered by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we see many things in this particular message, the Sermon on the Mount. One of the great things on the Sermon on the Mount is called the Beatitudes, which we see in verses 1 going all the way to 12. But then Jesus switches gears just for a moment, and he begins to talk about who we are within himself, what we represent, and then how effective we truly are. How effective we truly are. And the Lord would say this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. The Lord would say, you are, amen, I could stop right there and just talk about who we really are. The Lord tells us with a fact, with a surety right here, this might not be who you are, but you are this in me, amen. You represent this. You have this power that's available unto you. You have this authority. This is who you are. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost his Savior, his Savior, with wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. So the Lord, knowing all things, the Holy Spirit quickening him of everything that he said, everything that he thought, the Lord giving him knowledge, giving him wisdom, giving him discernment, the Holy Spirit was within him, functioning and flowing through him and speaking through him as no man had ever encountered before, gave him supernatural knowledge, supernatural discernment, supernatural information. So Jesus here is actually comparing us to something that the people of that time frame probably did not know from the human biology. He says, you are the salt of the earth. So he doesn't just compare us to any old thing, but he compares us to salt. Now we know that salt is used for many purposes. Primarily, it's used to actually preserve things. It's used to preserve things, but there is no living creature on this earth that does not have to have salt in its diet. In fact, one of the major things that salt does, salt does not just preserve things. So we know if we are the salt of the earth, we are preservation of this earth. We are the hope of this earth, but we are also the balance of this earth, of this life of this universe, amen, all through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If we are the salt of the earth, one of the things that salt actually does, it actually balances out the water level that is within your body. If it gets too out of whack, if you get too much of one or the other, you could die from that. So what salt actually does, it balances out all of the water that is within your body. So we know if we are the salt of the earth, then we are a balance unto this life, amen. We are a balance to this world and to those that we, are, we encounter. We're a balance to them. We're a hope to them. We're a light to them. We are, amen, the salt of the earth. But he goes on to tell us this also about this salt. He says that if the, if the salt has lost his Savior, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. So we see the Lord also giving us here 
not just that we are the salt of the earth, but he tells us that, yes, you are the salt of the earth, but you also can lose your Savior. You can lose your saltiness, amen? You can lose your effectiveness. And I don't just want to tell you that you can not only lose your effectiveness, but I want to tell you that once you lose your effectiveness, once you lose your saltiness, once you lose this, you are good for nothing. In fact, he calls us out as being salt. We are separated out. We're not just any old type of rock now. We're not just any old type of sand grain that was attached to all the rocks of this earth being totally useless with the wind blowing and scattering them to and fro. We're not just like any old sand of this earth, but you and I are the salt of the earth. We are a needed and added mineral that is important. But he says, if you have lost your saltiness, if you have lost your hope, if you've lost your balance, if you've lost all that, then you are now like any other old rock. You're just a particle of sand that's being thrown to and fro everywhere. You are totally ineffective. If you have lost your Savior, if you've lost your saltiness, how shall you ever get it back? And not just how shall you get it back, but it says that you shall be trodden, you shall be cast out, and shall be trodden underfoot of men. Church, I want to tell you tonight, this is very important that you and I are always very, very cognizant of our walk and our relationship with the Lord. How effective are we in the Lord? Not just with numbers, but how close are we truly walking in the Lord? I ministered to you last Sunday when I talked about fear. Fear is the only thing that's going to be present amen whenever you start to walk and drift further and further away from the lord fear is going to creep in i just got a text from a young lady this afternoon i won't share her name but she began to tell me all these things that she's experiencing that she has anxiety that she has worry that she has all these things going on and i had one major question for her i said how close have you been walking to the lord here recently and her answer to me was very clear and specific she says, I feel further and more distant from the Lord in this past month than I have ever felt since my salvation. Church, I want to tell you, whenever you stop walking close to the Lord, whenever you begin to go in another direction, you still hear the call, you still feel the presence, but you know you're not going in the right direction. I want to tell you, when you take yourself out of the light and protection of the Lord, the only thing that's going to be left for you in that place is darkness, and then fear is going to come in, is going to begin to take over your heart. I've talked to ministers, even that said, as they began to get interested in other things, and they began to walk away from the Lord, they knew that they knew that they knew that their effectiveness had totally begun to wane, had begun to go down. Church, they had lost their saltiness. And the Lord is very clear in telling us that we shall be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. So I began to ponder how shall we get our saltiness back if we have begun to lose it. Church, I want to tell you this too as I began to study this this afternoon. As I began to look a little deeper into this because I've never ministered on this topic at all before. I want to tell you this. I have not went through some of the major trials that some of you have in this church of losing a, a child or losing a spouse or something of that nature. I don't know those trials. I can think that's probably just about as bad as it can get in my imagination. But I want to tell you this. I think some of the reasons 
that we begin to lose our saltiness, we begin to lose our Savior, is because of some of the fiery trials that come our way, amen? Because of our perspective then on things, depression, we began to even question why we believe what we believe. Anybody else ever been in that situation, amen? I can tell you I've been in situations just in my own ministry where things necessarily wasn't going my way. I didn't know what, what lied up ahead. I didn't know what the future was holding. Maybe I thought I was supposed to go this direction and the Lord has been leading me in another direction the entire time. And I began to question all of those things. I began to even question what I believed and why I believed it. Church, I want to tell you, through fiery trials, it can change your perspective on what you believe in the Lord and can even lead you into a place to where you lose your Savior, you lose your saltiness. In effect, you lose your effect, amen, as a believer. Well, Brother Joy, how do you know this? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. In verse 49 and 50, we'll be looking at to show you how I know this. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, in verse 49. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Now, these verses tell us a tremendous amount right here, but I'll tell you one thing that they tell me overall about myself. I may just be an old salt container, amen, but I'm the keeper of my salt. The Bible tells us right here that we are going to go through fiery trials and tribulations. Do you know that the ocean is full of salt? Do you know how they get the salt from salt water in the ocean. Anybody know? They boil it. They take the salt that has been so diluted. Amen? Stay with me here. has been so diluted. The salt was very salty, but it's been so diluted by the water. The salt in the water is placed into a pot or some kind of container and it begins to boil 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 it gets hotter and it gets hotter and it gets hotter and it gets hotter and it gets hotter until finally all you have left is the salt amen so I want to tell you tonight for those of you that maybe have lost your saltiness and I'm not judging you my lord I got a long life I hope ahead of me who knows what kind of trials and tribulations I have coming my way but those of you that have lost your saltiness and you know you've lost your effectiveness, I want to tell you the same way that you probably have lost it is the same way that you are going to get it back. It is through the fiery trials and tribulations. But the Bible tells us, amen, that we can get our fervor back. We can get our excitement back. We can get our joy back. Come on, we can get our gusto back in the Lord. We can get it all back, amen. 
we can get it all back. I want to tell you tonight, the Lord is not the taker of those things, but instead He is the giver of those things. The Bible tells us in John chapter 10 and 10, Jesus would say, I am come, amen, that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Church, He is the giver of life tonight. He's the giver of all things. He's the giver to give you your saltiness back, to give you your fervor back, to give you your passion back, to give you your unction back. Life and trials and tribulations is hard. It may have taken it away from you. Depression maybe has crept in. Loneliness has crept in. All those things have crept in. They're all true emotions. I'm not judging you tonight, but I want to tell you tonight, you can get your saltiness back, your gusto, your fervor back in the Lord. Amen. He is the restorer of all good things. The same way that you lost it is the same way that you can get it back. It's through those fiery trials and tribulations. The Lord is trying to bring us, amen, to a place to where we are pure and we are holy before him. And he knows what each and every one of us needs individually. Church trials are not easy, amen. They're hard and they're difficult. And a lot of times we feel like we're alone in those trials and tribulations. But I want to tell you, the Lord is right there with you, amen? A lot of times, He is the one that is leading us into that place so that we may be tested, amen, that our faith may rise up. You see, the enemy wants to test you so that you fail, but the Lord allows you to be tested so that your faith may rise up above all those circumstances, amen? And lastly, what I want to tell you about saltiness tonight, salt. We know that whenever we taste salt, amen, it makes us thirsty. When those people that do not know the Lord come into contact with us, amen, do they see the Lord? Do they experience the Lord? Do they become thirsty for the life that we have living inside of us, amen? When they come into contact with us, do they become thirsty? For the things of the Lord, they begin to say things. Look, I don't know what you have. I know something's different about you, but whatever you got, amen, I want it. Whatever you've experienced, I want to experience. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on, but whatever you have, I desire that also. Church, I want to tell you tonight, the Lord tells us many, many times through the Word of God, He beckons us to come unto Him and to drink of the waters of life freely. In fact, in Revelation 22, 17, it says that exactly. It says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him come and drink of the waters of life freely. Church, that's the effect we should have on people when we come into contact with them, amen? Because you and I are the salt of the earth, amen? Amen. Give him some praise tonight, my Lord. Hallelujah. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Is that okay? We're going to talk about water baptism in a bit. I wasn't going to touch this tonight, but I began to talk to just a few people, and I think it's something that we need to discuss. We need to talk about just a moment. I just want to bring back to remembrance of why we do water baptism. I still think there's a lot of unknown information If some of you people didn't grow up in church like I did, and I personally didn't grow up in church, I had to learn all of this on my own. I think a lot of times we take for granted that people know a lot more than what we think they know. My wife all of the time is telling me, well, it was pretty good what you talked about, but I think you were over their heads and this, this, and this. And I'm just up here a lot of times rattling off. And I think it's going great. 
So I think a lot of times we need to go back to the basics, amen? So that's what we're going to do just for a few moments before we do the baptism tonight. I just want to touch on water baptism. Is that okay? Amen. So I'm a, we're going to go to some different verses. First, I want to show you how the Lord commands that we do water baptism. And then I'm going to look at when the Lord actually got baptized. And then we're going to look at the Acts of the apostles, amen, and see where they were actually baptizing people in the name of the Lord. So before we get started, turn with me to the gospel of Matthew chapter 28 tonight. Matthew 28. If you don't have your Bibles with you tonight, maybe Quentin will be able to put it up on the screen for you to read tonight. So we're just going to do some Bible study tonight, amen, before we do the water baptism. Before we talk about water baptism, and I was thinking more that I probably need to do a class again on actually the different types of baptisms. If you recall, I don't know when it was, Sister Sharon, maybe a year, year and a half ago or two years ago, Sister Sharon had asked me to teach a class on Wednesday nights on actually the different types of baptisms. And so I think over the next four to six weeks or so, we had taught on baptisms. So there is different types of baptisms in the Word of God. Amen. In fact, majority of the time we see the same word baptized but actually in the word of God it's the same word that's used over and over it's called baptizo and what it actually means is it means to be immersed into something totally immersed into something so a good analogy is talked about as you take a pickle and you put a pickle down in the jar amen you're totally immersed down in that jar you're totally immersed down in something so much to the point that you are within it and it is also in with you amen the word is baptizo that is used over and over again so we know there's different types of baptisms we see baptized into jesus christ which we which is essential for salvation we see water baptism which we're going to talk about tonight which is an outward public expression of what has happened in your heart with being baptized into Christ. We also see the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then another type of baptism is actually, I believe it goes hand in hand with the Holy Ghost, but it's being baptized with fire, amen, with fervence. What I was just talking about with unction, you have a passion, you have a desire, you've been filled up with God's consuming, hallelujah, overriding fire, been baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So there's different types of baptism that we see in the Word of God, but every time that we read in the Word of God, it's always the same word that's used, baptized. So actually, you have to look at the context in which it is used instead of the same word, because if you just think it's the same word over and over again, every time you read it, you think that they are speaking about water baptism. But we're going to see tonight that there's different types of baptisms, but I am going to predominantly focus on water baptism, what it is and what it actually signifies. First and foremost, we see in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, we see Jesus giving the Great Commission. In verse 28 and 16, Jesus would have this to say unto them. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
So we see our Lord and Savior right here giving them a commission, telling them that they should go and should teach all nations, but they also should be baptizing the believers. Amen? So we see the Lord's commission, His commandment right here to baptize. So now turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke Gospel of Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. That's all right. We'll go to John. We'll get a little bit uh, more detailed account of it. But in the Gospel of Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, we know that John the Baptist was actually a crazy person, as they said. He was running around out in the wilderness, and he was preaching the gospel of repentance. They said he wore camel's hair, and he ate locusts, and he was baptizing everyone in that, at that time in the River Jordan. He was actually immersing them into the river, and he was baptizing them into the river. We know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, when he began his ministry somewhere around the age of 30 years old, actually came there. And we know that whenever he was baptized, he was baptized by John. He was immersed in the river, and we know that the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Amen. It descended down upon him, and we heard the Father speaking, saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we see the Trinity right there. We see the Son, which is being baptized. We see the Holy Spirit descending down upon him, imbuing him, amen, with power from that point forward to begin his ministry. And we hear the Father, which is in heaven, begin to speak audibly to all those that were here. We see the Trinity in presence right there whenever Jesus actually begins his ministry. But it says this in verse 21. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying that heaven was opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. So we see Jesus himself being baptized, going through the act of obedience. Now turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, in verse 28 says this, These things were done in Bethabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water... The same said unto me, Upon whom you shall see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So we see right here, just in these few verses, we see that John is baptizing with water, but we also see John begin to speak 
about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which comes, hallelujah, with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So we see right here just in these few verses that there's a contradiction. We can't always look at the word baptize and think that it automatically means with water because we have to look at the context of the Scripture and see that there's different types of baptisms, amen, in the Word of God. Now, y'all ready for the big kink right here? Turn them in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Brother Cobb was preaching on it this morning. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. Remember how I said there's different types of baptism. You have to be baptized into Jesus Christ in order to receive salvation. And that water baptism is simply an outward public expression of what has already occurred in your heart. Then we see the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, Brother Joy, how do you know what you just stated baptized into Jesus Christ. It's by these verses right here in Romans chapter 6 that it gives us insight and wisdom into what truly happens whenever we ask the Lord to come into our hearts and to be Lord and Savior of our lives, the salvation experience. It says this in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul would say, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue sinning? so that grace can just increase, increase, increase? He answers his own question, God forbid, which means away with the thought. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So he begins to tell us right here that you and I are dead to sin. Well, how did we die to sin? How did I become dead unto sin? He answers it right here. Verse 3, Know ye not, which means don't you know this, that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death. Don't you know that so many of us that were immersed into Christ were also immersed into his death? He goes on to tell us this. Therefore, which means because of this, because you and I have been baptized into Jesus Christ, we have been baptized into his death. Therefore, because of, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death has no more dominion or power over him. Therefore it has no more power over you and I. So what the verses is telling us here is that you and I, upon confession of salvation, you and I were baptized, we were immersed into the body of Christ. And if we have been immersed into the body of Christ, 
We now share the history of Christ. So the old sinful joy, when I confessed with my mouth, believed in my heart, the old sinful joy was baptized into Jesus Christ. Therefore, when Christ was being crucified on the cross in the mind of God, the old sinful joy was being crucified on the cross because I have been baptized, immersed into Jesus Christ. And as he was dead and buried in the tomb, the old sinful joy, the old man, was also dead and buried in the tomb. But because death had no power over him, amen, he rose again to newness of life. Therefore, because I'm baptized, I'm immersed into Jesus Christ, the old sinful joy is dead and buried, but I have risen again to newness of life in Christ Jesus. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? Y'all still with me? Two different types of baptisms here. So water baptism actually represents, it's an outward public expression of us being baptized into Jesus Christ. It's an outward public expression of that experience. We are dead and buried. We are placed down into the water. We're dead and buried in that water. But death had no power over Christ. He rose again to newness of life. Death had no power over me. I rose again to newness of life. I was down in that water. I was dead and buried. But I rose up out of that water to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. That's what water baptism represents. It's an outward public expression unto the world. What has already happened in my heart. I am a new creation. In Christ Jesus, I was dead and buried, but I rose again, hallelujah, to newness of life. Let's look at a few examples of this, and then we'll have the water baptism. Amen. Is this good for y'all tonight? Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Church, did y'all know the book of Acts has never ended? (laughs) Did you know we're writing the book of Acts as we speak? Hallelujah. That's exciting to think about, isn't it? Philip, one of my favorite men, he's an evangelist, amen, one of my favorite men in the, in the Bible. He's having a great revival. It says that the whole city was touched. It was doing, God was doing many great and mighty works from him, and then the Lord tells Philip to go do something very exciting. He tells Philip to leave his revival and go stand by the road. Verse 26 says this in the book of Acts chapter 8. 8 and 26. And the angel of the Lord spoke unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is a desert. Go stand by the road in a desert, by the way, Philip. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Cadence, queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading... Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Come on, how many of us need some salt of the Lord to make sure we're effective? Amen. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join yourself to his chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you read? And he said, How can I accept some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray you of whom 
speaks the prophet of himself or some other man. And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. It's a powerful church. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What does hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all of your heart, you may. What's the Bible tell us in John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10? Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Philip was saying here, nothing is preventing you from being water baptized, but first you have to believe. You have to have what happens to your heart. You have to be made a new creation because the water baptism is nothing but an outward public expression of what has already occurred in your heart. But Philip was also telling him this, after you get saved, your first act of obedience should be water baptism. Y'all still with me tonight? And he answered and said, verse 37, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So we see right here, talking about both, the confession with your mouth, which in the mind of God, when we do that, we're placed into the body of Christ, we're baptized into him, Romans chapter 6, and then we see the outward public expression being carried out, the first act of obedience, which is water baptism. Same word being used both times, baptized, baptized, but two totally separate meanings, amen? Y'all still with me? Amen, let's look at one more. Flip over to the book of Acts chapter 10. I don't have time to go through all this tonight, but basically Peter is in a town called Joppa, and there is a man, an Italian there of an Italian band, and he is a devout man, and he is a Gentile. He's an Italian. He is not a Jew, but he is devout. He believes in the Lord. He's studying the Lord. He's praying unto the Lord every day, him and his whole household, even all of the men. And so the Lord tells him to send for a man named Peter over at Joppa. He sends some men over there, and Peter begins to come back to these men, these Italian men, the house of Cornelius, and he begins to preach to them. But it says this in verse 44, after Peter has begun to preach to these Gentiles, it says this in the book of Acts chapter 10 in verse 44. It says, While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, which means the Jews, which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles' church, hallelujah, that's us, also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? So we see right here, these men obviously had confessed with their mouth, had probably believed in their hearts, and we see that they are baptized, amen, 
with the Holy Spirit, and we see them prophesying and speaking in tongues. So now Peter sees this, he recognizes this, and he says, Can anybody forbid these men that they should not be water baptized? Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they prayed unto him to tarry certain days. So we see right here many different examples. We see the Lord giving the great commission that we should baptize men to make them disciples, to teach all nations. We see the Lord himself getting water baptized. And we see the acts of the apostles actually carrying out, amen, this commission. So this is one of the great sacraments that we partake of in the Protestant faith. It is the Lord's Supper, which we just partake of about two weeks ago, and now also water baptism, amen? And it is an exciting time because it is an outward public expression. It is a new believer that has confessed and believed in Christ and has given their heart and their life unto the Lord. Church, I want to tell you, they are now, amen, our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. And what greater moment than for them to come before their fellow brothers and sisters and to say, praise God. Look at what happened to me. Look, I've been saved. I've been redeemed. Amen. I want to tell it to the world. I want to make this public expression. It all represents us being dead and buried and then rising up out of that water to newness of life. Church is a great thing. Amen. When we have water baptism. So we're about to have water baptism tonight. Amen. Amen. Did y'all get anything out of this tonight? There's a lot in this book, isn't it? <laughs> Amen. I'm asked the worship team to come back up and just play a song or two for us while me and Aiden go back in the back and we change. Amen. And then after we do water baptism, I'm going to ask you to stick around if you can. Just give us just a moment to change into some dry clothes. And then I want to ask you to come around and give this young man the right hand of fellowship. Amen.